Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the first part of our full interview with Noah Herman, where we discuss digital assets in treasury terms. In the episode of today, expect to learn what is a digital asset, beyond Bitcoin, what other assets fall under this category, what are digital assets in treasury terms, what are typical assets that treasurer can use and which could be replaced by digital ones, how digital assets have evolved since the creation of Fortress in 2017, and like always, much, much more. Another amazing interview with another amazing guest. Noah is extremely knowledgeable about digital assets and treasury, which made this episode particularly insightful for Hussam and I. We hope you will enjoy the episode. If that is the case, and when you're thinking about how you found our podcast, chances are that it was through word of mouth, social media, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And this is our only request to you. The best way you can support the podcast is to head to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Corporate Treasury 101. That will mean the world to us and help more people learn about treasury. On another other note, this episode is brought to you by Automation Boutique. Automation Boutique is empowering treasury, finance, and risk management with tailored automation solution. They use robotic process automation, RPA, AI, APIs, and Power Query to create automations that can work with your existing systems. We partnered with Automation Boutique as we really like their approach to innovation and how they help the industry. For this partnership, they came up with an AI-powered automation self-scan that can help you find out if a business process is suitable for automation and how to best get started. It is totally free, non-intrusive, and only takes about 15 minutes. What's great is that the report you will get from the scan helps you determine if the benefits of the automation outweigh the costs. If you want to have a look, head to the link in the description or to automationboutique.com slash corporate treasury 101 and with all that being said please welcome noah herman noah thank you so much for coming on the show obviously we discussed a bit before this episode so i had to google a few terms but for the part of our audience that, like me, didn't know exactly what it meant, can you please start by explaining what a digital asset is, please? Sure. So, yes, the term digital asset is used very widely. It's used to cover, as you've noted, a lot of different um, concepts, a lot of different assets, a lot of different currencies. Ultimately, the simplest uh, way to talk about a digital asset is just as a uh, on-chain uh, reflection of its fiat mimic, right? So stable coin, digital dollar, simplest concept. You take a US dollar, you take a euro, you take a whatever currency you want, you stick that euro or dollar in a bank. In the meantime, a group says we are minting or on-ramping a digital variant of that dollar that sits on chain, looks, smells, feels exactly like that same underlying US dollar, euro but it's sitting in a digital asset custody custodial setup. Uh, and from there, you can really run the gamut from something like the original um, Bitcoin, uh, which has a lot of different uh, components to it, a lot of different security features, different protocol chain, but ultimately 
it's just a different digital asset. And then you start to get into some of the more esoteric versions of digital assets, which can be things like <clears throat> Ethereum, can be things like ERC-20, so-called derivatives. You can get into things like NFTs and wrap tokens, so on and on and on. But the simplest description is uh, it is the on-chain or digital version of a fiat or traditional asset. Okay. And by on-chain, you mean in the blockchain, right? Or using the blockchain technology behind it. Sorry, it's going to be very digital asset 101 here. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And I apologize. I try to stay away from all forms of verbiage and, and, and crypto speak. So yes, on-chain is just a simple way to refer to the fact that, yes, uh, in order to have or use or operate on a digital asset, it needs to be done on the blockchain which is the distributed ledger technology that forms uh, all, all blockchains and, and, and protocols. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we say in the world of digital assets on chain, just to refer to the fact that uh, essentially, um, regardless of the chain, regardless of the protocol, uh, you are really taking an asset again, whether it's a simple reflection of a physical asset, say a, a, a listed bond or something like this, uh, you are ma making a data uh, recording of that within a uh, within the, the the respective protocol, um, and that is being locked into the of blocks, literally, that is forming the then uh, immutable proof uh, and immutable records for that transaction. Okay, so to take a very basic example of my understand what my understanding is, the digital version of a banknote, like one dollar bank note, the digital version of this will be the $1 that is displaying on my bank account when I look at my app. The digital asset version of this is exactly the same reflection, but on the blockchain. Would that be a simplistic yet correct enough? It's as simple and accurate as you can get. It's exactly right. And ultimately, when you look at it, it's really just all about ledgers, right? So to your okay. point, if you're using HSBC, there's your mobile phone. There's my one euro, my one pound, my one dollar. Um, that is itself sitting on a ledger within the bank. The bank controls it. You need the bank to get it back. Custody of the bank, right? Only difference to your point being just a different ledger, which is the on-chain. Super clear. So uh, it's really interesting the way that you described it. So, you, so you're saying that digital asset isn't just crypto related. It's just any digital version of real money. Is that what you're saying? I think that is probably the most accurate and capacious way to describe it, but it is especially today an important way to do it. Um, you're correct. The world of so-called digital assets started out much more with um, Bitcoin and stable coins, right? Well, so tr truly the first reference to digital, digital assets or digitizing assets was, to your point, mobile banking, right? People said, oh, wow, now I can just that money without walking into the bank and taking a dollar and handing it to my friend. Um, so yes, that is the digitization or the first step of digitizing what was otherwise a paper fiat predominantly. Um, the second rendition though of that, which has happened in the past couple of years and is especially happening now with a bit more frequency as it relates to real world assets, um, is the notion that yes, you can, much like we started talking about, take a simple dollar and create a, an on-chain version of it. Uh, you can also take a uh, bond. You can take, I shouldn't say can, uh, groups are and have been now to some volume, 
uh, taking pieces of art and saying that this piece of art is worth $100. So we'll split it up and each dollar's worth of 100 can be represented on uh, the, the, the chain. So yes, it can be bottles of wine. It can be ownership in real estate. It really can be anything. Uh, the true uh, sort of umbrella is that anything that is a true digital asset in the world of uh, cryptography, if you want to, uh, will sit within a distributed ledger. I love that. So to go a little bit deeper into definition, because we're going to get into the nitty-gritty on how digital asset can help, and it's already helping treasury tasks. But just to completely understand what we're talking about, if you would compare a digital asset to a traditional asset, take like basic definition of it, how does it differ then from my mobile application or in the users that you see? What's sure. the difference? Sure. Um, so again, we'll limit this to just sort of the sim simplistic use cases. Just yes. So the only difference really, again, uh, comes down to the uh, way that the data is, is translated, right? So in the case of the mobile banking example, you are going to the bank and you're moving a dollar, right? Um, and that is fast. It's easy. You're just clicking it and the dollar goes right to Guillaume and wow, he says, I got it on you know Venmo or Zelle or whatever, PayPal. Um, in reality, behind the scenes, there's an extremely complicated and lengthy and time-consuming collection of uh, groups and intermediaries, third parties, which can be anything from SWIFT to FedNow, to central banks, to correspondent banks, to domestic banks, to regional correspondent banks, to third-party payment providers, to... Uh, the rails behind SWIFT to your credit card company. There's many, many thousands of things going on. So in effect, though it is a nice step change and you are able to in fact move that dollar quickly between you and uh, Guillaume, in reality, that's not happening behind the scenes. So that is the way that you move a dollar still today, despite the mobile banking interface and UI being nice and easy. Um, if you do this in the world of digital assets using distributed ledger, uh, what's happening is largely the same human act, right? largely the same UI. You still have your same phone and you are still, in fact, sending a dollar to Guillaume. But when you do that, <clears throat> you are now simply sending that same dollar, maybe in the form of a stable coin, we'll call it USDC, so widely known stable coin. Uh, and that is involving precisely zero of all of those 30 parties you mentioned earlier. It is mentioned, it is, using just one, one thing, which is the distributed ledger, that stable coin, and your two wallets. And so it seems to happen at the same speed, it seems to happen for the same cost to you ostensibly as a consumer, but in reality, you've essentially taken all that undergirding and thrown it out. Super, super clear. Just for the, just for the sake of it, stable coin, what do you mean without Noah? Yep. Let's, let's just assume that we we don't I know, know all the aspects of it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so uh, the concept of the uh, simplest form of a digital asset being a uh, mimic of a of a of a government fiat currency, right? So, in this case, U.S. dollar, still the most widely traded currency. So we'll reference that because I'm American. Uh, so the U.S. dollar uh, has a couple of different representations, <laughs> although. 
digital, uh, you know, in the world of distributed ledger and, and, and crypto. But the simplest one is to take an example, either USDC, which is US dollar uh, coin, or uh, USDT, which is another example. It's just called Tether. Um, and there are many others. They're all doing the same thing, in effect, which is that they are using that same process we referenced before to take a fiat dollar and create a digital representation of that dollar on chain. Um, they were born into the world 10 years ago as a so-called stable coin because they were uh, trying to keep all of the technological advancements that was that were there with Bitcoin as a distributed uh, asset, a decentralized asset, but do away with what was one of its biggest problems, which we've spoken about quite a bit already uh, earlier, which is the volatility, which to quote, quote, my old head of uh, policy could make some hedge fund managers blush. <laughs> and so uh, the stable coin literally was meant to create stability in the currency. And as we know it the most, or at least as financial markets know it, the most stable currency uh, in the world is US dollar. And so that's the term. It has variously been referenced now as the digital dollar versus the stable coin. And that was not just because at some point one of these has depegged from the dollar, but that's another story. <laughs> okay, that starts getting very complicated. If you have a US tether, that's not tethered to the US dollar. Uh, so we can get into that in a second as well. But and so. Well, I want you to explain a little bit more about why someone would use the stable coin versus the actual asset itself. But I think to explain that, you need to explain a bit better what the chain is and why the chain has any advantage over traditional forms of um, asset management, money, manage money management, or money movements. Yep. So, yes. Um, so, the answer is many fold. And, but, but a good caveat to all of the answers is sort of the opinion of both sides, right? One is you have this camp on one side of the world, which says that, uh, all digital assets, but specifically stable coins are a solution looking for a problem. Uh, meaning that there's a certain advancement in technology, there's proven value in it. And that value usually comes down to savings and time in cost and operational complexity. Those are usually the three pieces that are cited, which are significant and, and real uh, issues for any business today. Um, you have another camp on the other side, which says the fiat world is untrustworthy. Governments all around are inflating their currencies. We as citizens of those countries have no control over those currencies or governments. We don't like it, uh, and we want to be able to have some control over our monetary system, and then anything in between. Somewhere in the middle lies the truth, is my theory and thesis. And from all of the conversations we have as a company, I, I think it's fair enough to say we have a variegated range of data points, statistical, uh, informal statistical surveys. So um, the short answer is then, to answer your question, Guillaume, um, generally speaking, if you're a person, Let's say in the same country. So if you and if if, if you and and and, and Guillaume uh, are in the U.S., there is not a lot of benefit necessarily 
or I should say difference from existing technologies as to whether you want to use Venmo, PayPal, Zelle, whatever it is to send instant payments. It is when you step out of that country, when you now are sitting on two different sides of an ocean, which is not often the case for two friends, two colleagues, right? Yes, maybe friends are borrowing money from one another and then one's in Portugal, one's in Africa, they need to send some funds, fine. It's not a true volume play though. That is when you get into the realm of business versus retail. Um, and therein lies the true, let's call it sea change benefits to using a digital asset. And back to your original question, which is, it is to this day, extremely costly, very slow, and extremely complex to move money around the world. Uh, and using the distributed ledger, using uh, chain protocol and using digital assets as a way to effectively, uh, if not almost completely reduce all of those issues away. So it's simplifying cross-border payments, essentially, because yes, on your app, you just see, hey, I transferred money to my friend in Africa, but behind That's the scenes, right. is a lot's happening. We, we tend to look at it through the lens of from my SAP dashboard, from my yeah. NSV Oracle dashboard, or from my Kariba mm -hmm. dashboard, because we are ultimately working with other businesses. Now those businesses themselves are receiving funds from and paying out to customers, retail. But yes, that, that is, I would say that's accurate. So can, so can you explain a bit more of the chain then though? Why, how can you, what is the mechanism behind it? I think most treasurers have at least a pretty good fundamental understanding. Okay, when I, I know when I make a bank transfer, it's not just as simple as my, you know, my bank account there and then it's there, right? We understand that there is Swift behind that, we understand what's behind that. We understand that these banks have reconciliations that they do between each other and all this kind of things, right? Now we've done payment rail episodes as well, yeah. episodes on the Corporate One podcast, uh, not for digital assets. So can you explain the chain and how money moves and why it's simpler? Sure, sure. So the simplest way to talk about it is, I mean, you can think about a business as uh, just a collection of people. Right? You can even think about a standard business transaction as a, as a form of um, ultimately what is the same example we get, which is you've got a friend in Portugal, you've got a friend in Africa. From the business perspective, it's the same conversation. Right, That friend sitting in Portugal who needs to get money to that friend in Africa can just be extrapolated up by an order of magnitude to you are a multinational corporation and you are headquartered in Portugal and your primary bank I don't know any of the primary banks in Portugal, but let's just <laughs> HSBC. Uh, is there, <laughs> what is the name? I, uh, Novo Banco, indeed, that's the only one we know. Shoot. Novo Banco. Okay, so the primary financial institution for a multinational is Novo Banco in Portugal. Uh, and your, uh, you have uh, multiple subsidiaries around the world. One of them is in, is in Africa, and that bank is not Novo Banco. It's that is standard charter. Um, rather than running through, as you've said, uh, some, all of the traditional rails behind that, you essentially have the same structure with the business transaction, which is that the headquarter company uh, has a wallet, but now it has nothing to do with Novo Banco. It's actually the corporate itself. Uh, let's call it Acme. So Acme has a parent corporate digital asset wallet that it holds. And um, 
when it needs to send its 100 million uh, euro to Africa, uh, it clicks through to its uh, African subsidiary wallet on its interface, whatever interface that is, and says, I want to move 100 million uh, euro to Africa. Um, and that can be done by either just so-called on-ramping from the euro currency into a stable coin, into Bitcoin, whatever it is. Type in the amount into the interface, and that data, that that transaction is then instantly recorded on chain, logged in an immutable fashion on chain, uh, and those assets are then moved on the ledger that is the distributed ledger versus the bank's ledger from the headquarters in Portugal to the subsidiary in Africa. And now a couple of milliseconds later, the subsidiary in Africa is sitting on 100 million euro equivalent, um, whatever is the local currency, Naira, call it, uh, at which point they can either off-ramp back down into their local currency or they can keep that in their wallet for local treasury operations. So it's effectively one or several people controlling the transaction all within the corporate, signing off on its movement. It's the two wallets and it's the on-chain transaction which have facilitated the entire movement of that same 100 million. Um, no reconciliation has been involved because the money and the message are moving at the same time, all being embedded in the blockchain. Uh, it's cost the group very little because it's just the mining fees to move that sum of we can talk later about what that means, but basically just the cost of the transaction is minimal. Uh, and obviously it's happened in a millisecond. So that, that is the business example. And again, if you think about any business over a certain size, that happens multiple hundreds of times per day. Okay. So you, you, the example that you gave there, right, was kind of that you don't have any external nodes and then you have all your nodes in charge. So my understanding of what blockchain is, is that the distributed ledger that you mentioned there, and correct my definitions, and then if I, if I say anything that's incorrect here. My understanding of what the distributed ledger that you mentioned a few times is, you have lots of different computers set up, all of which are live connected to each other on the internet, right? Um, and they all have, through this technology called cryptography, right? And this encrypted ledger, essentially, of transactions. It's just money moved from A to B, money moved from A to B to C to D to F, and it ended in uh, G. Yeah, that was correct, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and so everyone has access to the same ledger here, right? So the, the benefit of the chain, typically, as it was said, and, and, and I'm a little bit more talking to the, to the individual, and I really want to bring the focus on the business, is this decentralization that, okay, Everyone has transparency. Everyone sees what's happening. Not one person can manipulate everything. There's not one single point of failure. If one node goes offline, you have all the other ones that are still available. So money can still move through a different sequence. It maybe skips F and then goes to Z and then back to G, right? And so that's kind of what the idea of the nodes system is a distributed ledger, right? So I think to a treasurer listening though, like if they hear, hey, okay, so I need to convert from euro to another currency and then back to another currency again right i add one more fx in my process through many different computers 
Like yeah. as a treasurer, you might think, okay, but my data and my money is everywhere then. Taking it in very simple terms, yeah. Noah, but. So we're gonna start pushing back on you now, Noah. Now that we've got <laughs> a little bit, I wanna, we're gonna go through, okay. Because there's resistance to this, right? Overall. So what'll be the resistance? You tell us yes. why we're wrong. Absolutely. And you know what? It's a very, very good point. Um, and it's one that has caused some serious problems for, among other companies, groups like Circle, for example, which have promulgated USDC as its stablecoin, which on the theoretical level is almost a perfect asset. It can be used anywhere. It's a mimic of the US dollar, which is the most heavily traded currency in the world, right? It's trusted, liquid, um, almost a perfect asset on the theoretical level, but on the practical level, not so much for exactly the reasons you're talking about, which is if we have a transaction again, where we bring it back down to Hussam Guillaume, this time Hussam, you're in the US. Guillaume, you're walking around in the middle of a field somewhere in, in, in Nigeria for whatever reason. I love Nigeria. It's perfect. I, I, I do that. <laughs> Ask our patients. I say, Hussam, uh, I need that dollar. And he says, oh, no problem. And there goes the USDC over to you. And you say, fantastic. Now, let me just walk to my local bank here and offer up this thing. Oh, wait, there's no bank to be seen for miles, right? That's a problem. So that is what in any industry, but certainly even in this one, meaning the crypto industry is called the last mile problem. And indeed, it is a problem for everyone. It's a problem for Circle Proper, which did a very, very uh, neat engagement with a group called MoneyGram, uh, which everyone will know. Um, I was a part of that actually. And so I know the deal well. And ultimately the reason that it, it, it was not that fruitful for anyone is because of that exact reason, because the man in the field in Africa said, this is incredible. I didn't have to walk all the way to a MoneyGram station, 50 miles up the road to get that, that Naira out. Um, I got the USDC right here, but he can't buy chicken with it. And that's just, that's still a problem. So the answer is there is no answer to the pure retail use case, right? The presumption always being that somebody is going to off-ramp. And the bet from Circle and USDC and other stablecoin groups is, at some point, the world will realize that this is just a more efficient way to conduct commerce, and I don't need to off-ramp at all. I can just walk into my local chicken farm and go buy that chicken with USDC. But that's a big ask, a big technological change, we're not there yet. So in the meantime, the retail use case continues to be stymied by exactly what you just said. It's slightly different at the corporate level. And I say slightly because even the world of corporates, if we're being honest with one another, is nowhere near ready to take 10% or 50%, let alone 100% of its balance sheet and say, you know what, this billion dollars of US dollars don't need to be here. Let's mint it into USDC. Let's just operate 100% on USDC. And that way we never need to offer it. Never need to deal with Forex again. We'll pay our suppliers in it. That 100 million that got to Africa, we can just pay our supplier with that, that, that USDC. They're not doing that yet. There are some groups that are starting to flirt with it, but haven't yet executed on that. And the answer is until they do, you're right. They're going to have to off-ramp into either a local currency or they're going to have to find a supplier that accepts that currency. Um, 
or they're going to have to decide, as some are, and I mean by that I can count on one, 10 hands, to keep it in a pool in that subsidiary, in that local country, not off-ramp it, and then use it as the fungible asset that it is to then fund local operations, which themselves might not demand um, hard, hard currency. But that needs the entire supply chain to convert to it. But again, it's the same as uh, your... Everything that you described in terms of the actual interfacing is the same as any other currency. It's like uh, my supplier in Nairobi might also not accept uh, euros. Correct. Euros and pay me in dollars only. Correct. Which is on widely. Yeah, exactly. So the largest use case now um, with respect to at least sort of global commerce, multinationals, corporates, right, is that of using it as an internal balance sheet mechanism. Just like internal users. At some point, markets will develop, people will develop, suppliers will develop, but we're not there. So let's let's lean into that. Before though, I have one last question, Noah. The main so we are talking about transferring money so far. The the main not concern, but one of the critical aspects of all this, and that's why the payment industry is so massive, gigantic. I don't know what's the proper English here. Um, is the cost of it. Transferring money is not cheap, especially when you transfer numerous amount of transactions with high or low volumes, however you phrase it. What's the fee of using this technology? If instead of passing by my 30 third parties, as you mentioned in the example earlier, and using that distributed ledger instead, what's the cost of it? Sure, yeah. So the costs um, are, you know, the, the short answer is that there are things... Um, on, on chain, when you send a transaction on chain that are called um, gas fees, so-called gas fees, which you can think of as just, um, you know, you, you have to pay your car with a bit of gas to get across the highway, which is an effect. Um, and they do range. Those themselves range dependent upon traffic. Right? So if you're sitting in traffic for a long time, you're going to be paying, paying more gas to keep your car running. Same thing. Um, so depending upon that, right, if you are looking at sending a transaction at a very high volume, uh, time, and you have to send it, then you may end up paying a gas fee that is not $2, it's five or 10 or a hundred. Um, traditionally though, they tend to be quite low, the percent, 10th of a 10th, you know, they're, they're, they're almost de minimis. Uh, that itself is a whole nother topic and it's something that there are groups specifically working on which are building sort of payment rails on top of Bitcoin protocol right so that it's another world but yeah the short answer is you generally have the, the platform fees right um, in order to just access the platform that you're running as a business and then you have those individual transactional fees that said those are still multiple multiple uh, fractions of the cost that you would pay to run a traditional fiat transaction Interesting. So it's not, I mean, if I think of a normal SEPA transfer, you pay between one and five euros, maybe, or sometimes even a percentage fee, which is uh, not ideal, depending on the size of the company. But here we're talking about cents or even fractions of cents, basically. That's right. Okay. Or maybe I'm going to get a bit too nerdy. What, what, Go for intrinsically, it. what is the cost of that? If, if if all that's happening, and maybe I, I can understand the bank fee, I can understand the SIPA fee. It's a company that is charging for a service, right? And then they have operating costs, they have technology that they're funding, they have um, people that string the transactions, they have all these kind of things. They want to keep the lights on, right? 
if what you're saying is I don't have a third party to manage if I'm doing this internally, um, and again, maybe this isn't relevant to treasuries, but I'm interested. It's interesting. What, what, what's the inherent cost of uh, moving uh, some lines of code on the internet? Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's not high. It's not high. That's why uh, it's negligible. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not the you know one to three percent to ten percent or sometimes forty years right. you know that 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 you would normally pay. And again, there's no standards here, right? This is a world of many different groups building many different solutions and trying to compete on very different angles. Um, but yeah, in general, sort of on the mar on the whole, um, it's you know you 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 sometimes see like. Uh, 70 to 90 percent reductions in, in in cost to just just to move the assets that's again this is one use case which is kind of the how do we move money more cheaply quickly and and and, and less in a less complex way there there are other use cases that are built on top of those and some of them are you know but mo most of those are accretive to this conversation but uh but that's at least a simple answer there mm -hmm. super clip super super clip amazing treasury Bring its treasury, you know, to treasurers. Okay, I think we've sure. given a good overview of, so if I could just summarize that, I guess. Well, I guess what we've given the overview of, of what digital assets are, which are essentially any virtual representation or any online, let's say, for fundamentally representation of real fiat, which real fiat, in essence, is also just representation of yep. other underlying assets, or at least used to be. Um, and we think of it like that, right? Um Either way, whatever people are willing to take as payment counts as payment, right? Uh, <laughs> so if I were willing to get paid in coffee cups, uh, that's <laughs> absolutely. Um, so all of it's just anyway, just built on everyone's ability to trust that. Cowrie shells, I think, were the first, the first printed currency or cowrie shells. Exactly, something like this, right? That's why what, even gold. Why does gold count? Because people give it value. It doesn't matter. So uh, nothing in the world matters. And <laughs> anyway, point being, um, digital assets is just a virtual representation of real assets or what are considered as accepted assets generally. Um, the digital asset in this format where we bring in crypto and what we refer to multiple times on chain is just using blockchain technology uh, to transfer those digital assets in the same way that you would see numbers on your screen and someone else would see numbers on their screen. Um, the underlying back end of that is what's different at the end of the day. Just like bank transfer would go through all the different payment rails that short treasures are very well aware of. You, we've talked about or you mentioned a few there. Um, it would go through a different payment rail, which is just this distributed ledger, which is a bunch of computers connected to each other on the internet, all keeping track and of approving the money as it moves through, um, essentially. And the approval is also isn't someone saying, hey, yes, go ahead. It's just a computer software saying, yes, this is still reconciling with everything else that I've gotten, right? Because otherwise it would be slower. Yeah, well, so everything you say is correct with, with, with one exception. I mean, so even that is correct, yes. I mean, ultimately, there are nodes validating, to use the term, right? Nodes validating transactions. So you're, you're correct. That is the approval of the transaction as it is locked in to the distributed ledger. I am only just pausing there because when I hear approval, I think about other approval, which is that, as you said, from the treasurer's standpoint, 
um, you have to approve the transaction happening in the first place. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a different approval, but I just want to clarify that can be two people, right? It could be just both of, of, of Yo, Yo and Usam saying, uh, we approve this movement of $100 out of, out of the company, or it could be 59 of 60 people that have to sign off because you're moving a billion dollars in between subsidiaries, whatever it is. So different set of approvals than the node the, the yeah. node validators, but yes. So what is the node validator approval? What is that? Is so that just... is, you, you summarize that very well. You have a set of globally distributed com 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 computing uh, systems that are basically running the proofs in a distributed fashion, which uh, over and over again, prove the validity of the transaction. After a certain point, you have global acceptance of that by the nodes, and then that transaction is locked into I think that's how we need to say it to Treasury. It's it's a payment rail. It's just another payment rail that has it's its advantages over the other traditional payment rails. It is another payment rail, and though you haven't quite asked the question, so I won't answer it. We can get into it when you ask it. But um, yes, it is a, and therein lies what I refer to at least as sort of the sea change versus the step change theory, which is that you, in effect, with the LT distributed ledger and crypto you know, uh, crypto assets or digital assets, you've combined more than just a payment rail because now you actually have an asset that is being used as a payment rail. So you've got payment rails, an asset, and you can form a currency on the back of that. So you sort of create an ecosystem in and of itself versus just the SWIFT payment rail alone. But again, you haven't asked that question, so I won't. Yeah, I think that, that, that starts going even more complex. So the way I, I think of it is like, uh, if you put uh, a bag of gold on the internet and moved the gold around, as opposed to... It's a very, very good analogy, yes, because yes, you're still moving an asset from, we can stick with the original example, Acme Corp, Yom Busam, two, two sides of the ocean. I'm sending you the bag of gold, just paid you, great. As it happens, if you decide to not take that gold, uh, Guillaume, and sell it, let's say, I'm just going to hold this mm -hmm. because, you know, there's an Indian holiday coming up. And I know that with Indian holidays, the price of gold spikes, and I think this asset may appreciate. Yes, it was a form of payment. Yes, it was a form of currency because it was sent between you two. But now it's an appreciating asset as well. So. Now we start to get speculative, which treasurers don't like. So maybe we stay with and so maybe to just validate the term, it's not a payment rail, it's a better payment rail. Oh. Would that would that be summarizing it well, Noah? Basically? <laughs> bearer or better? Better. Better. What did you understand? Well, so it's interesting the <laughs> French translation here. So um it is a better payment rail. Voila. But if you think about the term which used to so from the world of finance, you used to have something called bearer bonds. Meaning yeah. The of the bonds owned the bonds, right? It didn't really matter if there was a bank. You have it, you have it, like cash, right? Uh, by that, maybe you were saying it's a bearer. That's exactly what I meant. Actually, I wanted to mean both yeah. in one word. That's right. Cool. So, Nailing the digital asset world. Uh, <laughs> both bearer uh, payment rail and a better payment rail. Yes, correct. Thanks. Amazing. Absolutely perfect.